Bibles this morning. And let's finish up the chapter as well. Revelation chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, Every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? We uh, reminded ourselves last week of the frailty of planet earth it's a big place it's a permanent place from our point of view but from god's point of view we read from isaiah 40 last week it's just less than the dust in the scales from his point of view this is big from god's point of view but you couldn't see dust so i'm bringing a big blue marble and it's just by god's mercy that since creation it has continued with regularity the way it has, the seasons come and go. The crops uh, generally grow well. We have enough to eat, generally speaking. Disasters, uh, though they occur, are nothing compared to what they could be. God restrains evil throughout the world. Uh, he gives. If you have any, any blessings, food, health, they're all from Him. And it's by His mercy and His grace that the earth has continued this way for so long. And uh, it's really a a commentary on the human heart that he permits mankind to exclude him from his own creation the way we have, when you think about it. Uh, In spite of um, his blessings, his care, so many scriptures talk about his his daily care for everyone, uh, his, his maintaining of creation he didn't just create things and they just kind of spun off because they had these intrinsic laws that kept things going the scripture makes it clear that the regularity we see the laws we see are his hand his regular hand faithfully sustaining and maintaining his creation colossians talks about how all things in the lord jesus hold together or consist he holds all things together Hebrews chapter 1, when it talks about the death of his cross, it says, upholding all things by the word of his power. Talking about Jesus. Upholding all things, that includes you, by the word of his power. What a great God he is. And uh, when Paul preached to the very uh, 21st century-like Romans in Athens, he said, in him we live and move and have our being." We are not independent of him. On the contrary, he sustains and upholds us. I don't care who you are. Your very heartbeat, every breath comes from him. And yet, it saddens the heart of God to see mankind in general exclude him. Incredible, isn't it? That that pathetic phrase in Romans chapter 1, neither did they give thanks. Not even giving thanks for the daily blessings that, that we receive from him. Excluding, excluding him from his very creation. And he has let this go on for so long, but there is coming a time, very soon, when 
He is going to wake up the world and He's going to shake it. As it says in the Old Testament, the, the earth will reel to and fro like a drunken man. He's going to say, no, I'm here. The one you uh, thought didn't exist, I'm here. And these things that we take for granted, the seasons, our health, uh, just peace in the world. He is going to remove them. The mercy and the, the grace are going to pull back and he's going to judge the earth in seven years. Longest seven years this, this earth has ever experienced. And that's what we're looking at now in the book of Revelation. And as I read uh, the passage for this morning, I'll be honest, um, as any of you who have taught or preached before, you know that the uh, one who does the speaking uh, gets a hundred times more out of the passage than the hearers do. And I'll be honest, it's, it's, uh, it's tough immersing myself in these passages week after week and having the reality of what is going to happen really sink in. And uh, I, I tell you plainly this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? You do not want to be here. You do not want to be left behind. Uh, and uh, Lord willing, if, if the Lord Jesus doesn't come this week, uh, I'm going to take a break both for me and for you, and we're going to have a Thanksgiving message next week. And then we'll return uh, to Revelation the week after, Lord willing. Part of it being inspired by this wonderful banner back here. We can't just let something like, like that go by and not pause and do what the world hasn't done. Give thanks to God for all the great things that he has done and continues to do day by day. But as I thought about this, you know, I, and I thought about these terrible things that are going to be happening and really how they should have happened a long time ago when you think about the heart of man and what we have done to God. I gave thanks. Just in thinking of the first four seals, uh, the first one, him revealing the Antichrist, I thank God that so far he has held back this evil world ruler. I give thanks when I think about the second seal uh, and the breakout of, outbreak of anarchy throughout the world, how he has kept peace throughout the world, generally speaking. We, people say, oh, we've had wars, you know, and there's, there's terrible anarchy here and there. But as I say repeatedly, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. When the restrainer is removed and, and God permits men to do the thoughts of their hearts, we don't realize how much evil God has kept back since creation. Thank God. Uh, he has kept the restrainer doing his work to this point. The third uh, seal, the scarcity of food. I thank God, particularly here in this country, and you all look, you know, nice rosy cheeks and probably have a nice breakfast digesting right now. Thank God for that, you know. And certainly the fourth one, uh, where he, as you remember, utilized his four sore judgments as, he saw that saw, as we saw them in Ezekiel. That generally speaking, he has um, held back outbreaks of disease and, and uh, famine and even uh, attacks by animals. All that's going to go away. It's going to stop as the grace of God gives way to the judgment of God. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to just review, as I, as I just did in passing now, but I'm going I'm to go through the first four. I don't want you to look at your Bibles now. I want you to look at me. All eyes up, okay, every eye forward. I'm going to give you... A little quiz. It's a very simple quiz on the first four seals. What I'm going to ask you to, is, uh, what's the color of the horse that goes with each seal? As, as many of you know, the first four seals, don't look down. The first four seals are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now you know what that means if you didn't before. There are, associated with the first four seals, there are uh, four horses, and um, each of them is a different color. We saw the first week... Uh, the uh, man who, the one who sat on the horse went forth to conquer and he had a bow, remember, there were no arrows. And we said that's a picture of the Antichrist and his peaceful, apparently, victories. There are other scriptures that seem to confirm this. Uh, bloodless coup of the world, so to speak. Uh, and it's interesting that as, as uh, we look at each of these seals so far, apparently the world is going to have an explanation for everything apart from God, like they do now. Remember the Loma Prieta earthquake? You never heard God mentioned except by the Christians. And they were mocked at and, and scoffed. But you do not, the world refuses. They don't want to think about God. And so every one of these seals, as, as terrible as they are, are going to be explained away until we get to the sixth seal. 
As you saw, we read this morning. And then it's going to be undeniable. The most atheistic person in the world is going to have to admit, this is the hand of God when it's too late. So the first one was the Antichrist. What color was the horse? Very good. White. You're not peeking now. Okay, second one. As we said, God took peace from the earth. And that doesn't mean the outbreak of war. It says that men should kill one another. It's a, more, it's a more terrible thing than that in my mind. It's neighbor killing neighbor like we see in Bosnia and we saw in Rwanda and throughout the world. Anarchy. Worldwide anarchy. What color was the horse? Yes, red. Uh, in some versions, it's kind of a purple. It's just right, Norman. Yeah. But red is, I think, in the modern translations. Okay. The third horse is... Um, Actually, it's not famine yet, but it is worldwide scarcity of, remember, grain, the, the, the basic for many diets around the world from which bread is made and so on. Uh, what color was the horse for that one? Black. Very good. Wow. Okay, then the last one, of course, um, is really the first uh, clear mention of terrible disasters, as you remember, God's four sore judgments. What were they, by the way? There's a, there's a quick pop quiz. Remember what the four sword judgments were? We saw them back in Ezekiel, remember? The sword, the beast, yeah, beast, good. Hunger, yes. What's the other? Yeah, disease, that's right, or pestilence. Sometimes it just translated death. That's right. Which, by the way, if, you know, when we see things like this disease or an earthquake or something, remember, it's not because the tectonic plates happened to finally align up or there was so much pressure that they finally gave. If the, there are two great earthquakes in the tribulation, by the way. We're going to see one of them this morning. If he, if he is responsible for those, I think maybe he's responsible for the others, don't you? There's nothing out of his control. And even uh, in a major disaster like that, God's hand is on every individual that's involved. Those ten people that escaped that fire yesterday in the tunnel in Austria, that skiing tunnel, where 170, was it 170? Others died. There was a reason why those ten escaped. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, one or more of them don't get saved as a result of it. And certainly for the others, those that were saved, uh, when they died, they're with the Lord. And those who perished that weren't saved, God knew that they never would be. He's like that. You understand? If he, can, if he can hold together every atom in the universe, then he can carefully take care of every person. Okay, then we come now to the fifth and sixth seals. And in a sense, this is going to conclude the seals because the seventh seal is actually the prelude to the trumpets. Uh, but before we get there, we'll have a, a break. Chapter 7 is actually a parenthesis between the sixth and seventh seal. Okay, the, the fifth seal is uh, remarkable for many reasons. Uh, first of all, it's not a judgment. Did you notice that? I think most people think that the, the, that the seals and the uh, trumpets and the bowls and the vials are all, every one of them is a disaster. No. This is very interesting. When the, fit, when the Lord Jesus opens the fifth seal on the scroll, the vision John sees is martyrs, those who have died for their faith in heaven. It's not a disaster. Boy, this says so much. First of all, ranking with world disasters in importance in God's mind is the death of his saints. Isn't that interesting? He devotes a whole seal to those who have died for their testimony for the Lord Jesus. Is it that? He has one seal, for example, dedicated to the death of one-fourth of the world's population. And here is a seal dedicated to revealing to us those who have died because of their testimony for the Lord. Now, it says that they were under the altar. That's interesting. Why does he say that? Well, if you look in Leviticus, uh, during the offerings, they poured out the blood of the offerings of the sacrifices under the altar. And so God is, has them pictured here in the same place. It's a beautiful picture that they're like... a. They offered their lives up as a sacrifice to him. Like, like a sweet-smelling uh, aroma, as it says about the sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's the commentary he has on their lives given up for him. These ones literally fulfilled Romans 12.1, a verse many of us have memorized. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, 
which is your reasonable service. These ones did that literally, didn't they? Uh, the word slain here, it says so, those who had been slain, it's an interesting word because it's not the usual word that's used for someone that's been killed. It's used to describe something that has been slain as a sacrifice. For example, back in chapter 5, look there real quick. Uh, you remember the vision of the Lord Jesus and it says in verse 6, And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. That's the same phrase that's used here in chapter 6 about the ones who have died for their faith. And it's a word that is used to describe sacrifices, the death of sacrifices. So there again, the under the altar from Leviticus and uh, this word here of slain, it's a picture of a sacrifice offered up for the Lord. And why were they slain? Why were they murdered? Why were they martyred? Well, it says, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They died for this right here. They were faithful to the word of God. And you can imagine what conditions will be like. Uh, it won't be popular. Uh, they'll be as popular as Jeremiah and Isaiah were. You know, uh, The earth is not going to want to hear this. When these terrible things are, are, are taking place, and they're going to say, look, God said it in His word. It says right here, God is judging the earth right now. That's not going to be a popular message. Is it popular today to say that it's coming? <laughs> and yet, brothers and sisters, we can say it today, and we usually don't die for it. But in that day, there are going to be many. It's, it's going to be more the rule than the exception that to speak up that way is going to bring certain death. You're going to be considered an enemy of the world. They spoke up for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And the testimony, no doubt, uh, was about the Lord Jesus, but it was a clear statement that what we're experiencing right now is the hand of God. As, as we think about these ones, there's a real contrast here uh, between these ones who died for their testimony and those on the earth who killed them, isn't there? You have two extremes. You have those who uh, really we're, we're seeing, I believe there are people that are alive right now on the earth that will be here in this scene. It's not going to be the true Christians. Is going to be those who have rejected Christ. And you, you, you couldn't have a greater contrast than between those people who stop up their ears, so to speak, like the Jews in the book of Acts. And they, and they want, just want to exclude God. They don't want to think about Him. They don't want to hear about Him. And these ones who literally love Jesus so much they gave their lives for Him. Where are you? You got the spectrum there. Those who don't even want to hear about God, who are here to live it up and not think about God, live for pleasure, live for self, and those who live for Jesus to the extent that they gave their lives for Him. Well, they, they cry out with a loud voice, it says, a, a strong statement there about the earnestness of their question. They cried with a loud voice. And this question, by the way, is echoed throughout Scripture. It's all over the Psalms. And it's two words. You see it in Habakkuk. You see it in Zechariah. And the two words are, how long? And really, in a sense, you know, believers, that should be the cry of our hearts. We should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for the time when the Lord Jesus will come. When we'll see His face. And we should be saying in our hearts, how long? There should be that yearning. The, the contrast here is those who are saying, how long? And those who, the phrase is, says, uh, those who dwell on the earth. And as I said before, that's a phrase throughout Revelation. Those who dwell on the earth. It's a very graphic picture. It's literally those earth dwellers, those whose home is this place and nothing else. This world is all they have, all they look forward to. Versus those who, who cry out, how long? They say, how long? Uh, for example, look at Zechariah. Next to the last book in the Old Testament. You can't miss it. Twelve chapters long. 
Zechariah 1. I, I noticed some people don't have to turn pages anymore. They just push a button on their little... Uh, what, what are they called? Uh, palm pilots, yeah. But I guess if the Lord tarries, we're not going to hear any rustling pages in the, in the church anymore. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, here it is again, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you were angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. And he reminds him, he says in verse uh, 14, I am zealous for Jerusalem. I love the city. And you're just exhibiting my patience right now, but I will return and show mercy. And uh, you can turn back to Revelation. I just ch- chose that as an example, but the Old Testament is full of passages like that. Habakkuk, please, we got how long? The psalmist, how long? And now these martyrs, how long, O Lord? And we should be saying, how long, O Lord, will it be until you come to take us to yourself? And just as he answered with comfort there in Zechariah, so he does here too. It's, it's a beautiful picture of God in the midst of judgment speaking comfort to these ones. Uh, it says, a white robe was given to each of them. And now be careful, that is not uh, the righteousness of Christ. In the book of Revelation, typically the white robe, in fact he says it elsewhere, is a picture of their righteousness. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean they got there by their righteousness. But it's an emblem of, in particular, the fact that they died for their faith. So they're given a white robe, and then they're spoken to, and it says that they should rest a little while longer until the number of those who should be killed was completed. Notice he doesn't say, you know, two months or... God knows. You know, that's all you need to know. And it's interesting, that's a phrase, again, that's all over the Bible, that God alone can measure. You know, we can measure things like gallons and liters and meters and acres and furlongs and so on. We can do that. And we can measure time by the number of uh, times a hand goes around a clock or your digital watch turns over or whatever. And yet God alone can measure the fullness of time. He, he alone can measure when it's time to do something exactly. See that all over the Bible. Uh, the word he often uses is fullness. The, until the, t- the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, for example. Uh, the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. Could you measure that? But God, and I'll tell you, there's an exact precise time and he knows exactly when it is. And so he tells them, the time is going to be completed and then it will happen. Trust me. Meanwhile, as uh, Peter says in Second Peter, his long-suffering means salvation. Every minute he delays is time for someone to be saved. Okay, the sixth seal. And certainly this is by far the, probably the most fearful. As you read it, it's, it's, it's even hard to comprehend what some of these things mean. Uh, what's going to be experienced on the earth. And I want to point out again that so far, God's hand has not been acknowledged in what's been happening. But after this, it's going to be undeniable, as we'll see when we look at it. Uh, but I want to I want to draw a parallel here because I read this. We, we start with the first seal, the Antichrist conquering in peace, and so on. It's, it's a gradual build-up. Have you noticed that? The more you study this, you see. Uh, but there's an accelerated increase in the severity and the frequency of the judgments. But it starts off kind of innocuously and then builds up. And the the, the first uh, catastrophe was bad enough. The fourth seal, remember with God's four sore judgments, but, but now the sixth seal, it's incredible. No wonder Jesus said it's, it's a time such as the world has never seen nor will ever see again. God is going to make it clear that he is in control and that he is acting in judgment. It's going to be undeniable. But to, to study the people and their reaction during this time is, is just as interesting to me. How they refuse to acknowledge the hand of God until it's, it's written on the sky and they can't deny it. And I just finished reading a book about the um, Great Circus Fire in Hartford, Connecticut, back in 1944 during World War II. And the author spends a lot of time talking about the behavior of the people during the disaster. When it first starts, 
until it's finally undeniable that there's really a problem. And it's very interesting because these things have been studied by, pardon the expression, psychologists. And I don't agree with psychologists and their analysis of the individual psyche and the ego and the superego and the id and all that stuff. But God, God teaches us from the scripture uh, the inner workings of the human heart. But there are characteristics of group behavior in disasters that are repeated over and over again. And you see it here in the book of Revelation. The fire began... Okay, let me back up. Back in those days, uh, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey used to treat their tents to keep, make them waterproof. They, they, they used to have tents. You've seen pictures of the way the circus used to be. It wasn't in um, the Cow Palace or something like that as, as it is today. But they had them in these big tents that they set up. Well, it could rain. Norman's smiling. He went to a circus in a tent when he was a little boy, I bet. Yeah. And uh, so to make them waterproof, listen to this, they treated them with paraffin that had been dipped in gasoline. Both of those are flammable. It was coated with paraffin that had been dissolved in gasoline. And so these tents were a disaster waiting to happen. And so on this July 6th, two days after the 4th of July, a very hot day in Hartford, Connecticut, the, the big tent was crowded with people and they had the wild animal show going on in, in the center ring at the time. And a, and a fire just broke out, very small, in the, on the wall. The, the, the tent goes like this, right? You've got a very short verti uh, hor vertical section, and then it slopes up to the top, a couple of hundred feet up there. So it started off on the vertical section behind a set of bleachers. And the interesting thing is that for the longest time, they ignored it. People ignored it. And, and the people saw it growing. And it didn't register to them that if I don't get out of here, I'm going to be in trouble. Why? And they've studied this because it's been, this behavior has been repeated over and over again in disasters. It's because people went to have a good time. And they're sitting there, I'm watching the circus. Uh, the trapeze act is about to begin. That's what's going to happen. This is so far, this is not supposed to happen. And so they ignore it. They just put it out of their thinking. Plus, it's reinforced by the fact that nobody else is getting up and running wild. So it must be okay. Somebody's going to take care of it. And this is, this, this is a known group behavior. And it wasn't until the fire uh, went up the side and it hit the, the main canvas and went up with a huge roar up to the top. And all of a sudden, half the tents in flames. The pandemonium broke out. And then it was every man for himself. And of course, it was too late. And 200 people died just within a matter of minutes. But he talks a lot about this, this behavior of people, that they don't want to think that there's something bad that's going to happen. You see the, the parallel? Isn't it like that today? Hasn't it always been like that? God says it's so right on in Second Peter. People say, all things continue as they have from the beginning. There's a word for this called uniformitarianism. They're taking for granted the faithfulness of God. And they're saying... Look, the earth is continuing to turn on its axis. You know, the seasons repeat themselves. Nothing terrible is happening. No meteors hit the earth yet. You know? In spite of the signs that the Lord Jesus is about to come back. And, we're gonna, and you see it here. It's not until it's so undeniable that there's a problem that they finally say, uh-oh, we better do something. And the sad thing is that throughout the book of Revelation, you see the repeated statements by God that their action is not to repent. It's first of all, it says they're not, they don't repent. Here they hide. And in the end, it gets so bad when you get down to the last few bowls, they actually blaspheme God. And that shows you why God brought earth to the end. You see, remember that wine press picture I used last week? God squeezes out those last few that are going to be saved. And the ones left are just so hard-hearted. They'd rather curse God to his face than repent from their sins. That's the way it's going to be. But you see that here, you see. There have been so much so far that's taken place, you'd think that people would say, whoa, we're in trouble, but they don't. Until the fires cover the whole tent. Well, I could go on with other stories, but I'll just mention, this, this, this behavior is very interesting in um, a nightclub, a huge nightclub in Kentucky in 1977. The place is called the Beverly Hills Supper Club a fire broke out. And they were all enjoying the show out in the main place, which had twice as many people as the fire marshal said it was allowed to hold. 
was, it was slated for 500. And they had 1,000 people in there. And a busboy came out from away from the other side of the building where he knew the fire was and that it was coming this way. And he got up and announced that you better get out of here. And every people laughed. They just stayed there until the smoke started pouring in and the fire cutting off their, their, the way they came in. And uh, another 200 people died as a result. But they sat there and they just couldn't believe. I'm here having a good time. That's why I'm here. Like people on the earth, you know, buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage. I'm here to have a good time. I'm here for pleasure. Don't talk to me about God judging the world. That doesn't fit. That doesn't compute. I don't want to think about it. And of course, I preached a sermon before on the Titanic and it's fit with Second Peter. And you remember that. Same thing. The early lifeboats that went out, they were half empty. People curse themselves for not taking the chance when they could have. How many are going to come to the time that we're talking about here and say, I wish I'd turned to Jesus when I had the chance. I wish I'd repented of my sins and trusted Christ as my Savior instead of putting Him off. Well, let's take a look at the sixth seal. We're not going to understand all of it. It's not clear uh, how all of these things are going to be happen. Some of them we, we can uh, understand. The first one in verse 12 is a great earthquake. Well, we understand that. But this is an earthquake like the world has never seen. There's an even greater one. It's the very last event in the uh, seventh bowl. But this one is clearly great because I believe connected with it is verse 14. It says, Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Can you imagine? You know, men like to uh, guess the, the, ma- the magnitude of the greatest earthquake. That's silly. <laughs> because they study the mo- motion of place, and I believe there are probably plates. But the point is, God, you know, is gently holding things in uh, equilibrium. But I'll tell you, He can move those plates as much as He wants to. He can shake the earth as much as he wants to. So you can say seven, eight, nine on the Richter scale. Forget it. This is a worldwide earthquake. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? And apparently linked with it, it says the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. Well, uh, we have seen uh, whenever there's a lot of dust or ash in the atmosphere that these things happen. For example, Mount St. Helens completely blacked out the sun in the cities around it for days. Uh, and then as it begins to clear up, but there's still a lot in the upper atmosphere, you look up at the moon and it's got an orangish or a reddish tint to it. And so that may well be what happens here, either from fires that break out, uh, since it's worldwide. It could, that could certainly dump enough stuff in the atmosphere to do this. Or there could be accompanying volcanic activity, as there often is, uh, when there's that much uh, tectonic activity with, with the earthquake. We don't know. But uh, it's going to be a, a scary thing. You know? Verse 13, the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Well, obviously, you know, people mock and they say, oh, well, the stars don't fall to the earth. You know, they're bigger than the sun. They'd, they'd incinerate it in a second. I, and it's funny, they turn right around and they say, look at the falling star. You know, if, if we can use language like that, why can't God? That's what he's talking about, clearly. And, and to, to John, who saw these things, he's writing them the way he would see them, and that's what it would look like. That's why we call them falling stars, because that's what they look, they look like far, stars falling down. How many have seen any of these movies, Asteroid or, or whatever they were called? These disaster movies that, yeah, okay, where, where an asteroid or a comet hits the Earth? I'm probably going to get the tape if and when it comes out. But uh, that's new stuff, you know? Just within the last decade, we've realized that we're a target for these things, and it may very well happen. Well, we don't need to say may, it will. And scientists are busy now trying to first scrape up funds so they can go out and try to chart all the known pieces that are flying around out there and what their paths are so we can predict ahead of time before it hits and send out a nuclear warhead and supposedly blow it up, which may cause more problems than the first, by the way, where they don't know what exactly might happen in that case. And so they talk about the big one. Well, look, it's not one. What does it say? It says, stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs. Plural. 
There's not going to be one. There are going to be many. You see. If there were one, coupled with this earthquake, uh, men might still continue to say, oh, well, you know, it was bound to happen. You know, chance, statistics. There could be many hitting, along with this earthquake. You see, the, the earth has now become God's target, and he doesn't miss. That's scary. We just had a near miss uh, a few years ago. It was a, a, uh, an asteroid that was, uh, was about 800 feet across, they estimate. That's not very big, 800, meter, 800 feet, three, uh, 200 and something meters. And it came within the moon's distance of the earth. When you say, wow, that's way out there. Uh-uh. If you know the dimensions in the solar system and know how often these things, it close, these things typically come to the earth, it was a very near miss. Zing, it went right by the earth. And if it had hit, it would have been comparable. As we calculate what it would have happened. It would have been a 2,000 megaton blast. 2,000 megatons. The Hiroshima uh, atomic bomb was 50 kilotons. This is 40,000 times. That would be 40,000 atomic bombs if it, if it would have hit. Well, it's not going to be just one. There's going to be many. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? But you see, God is righteous. He's a just judge. It's not unfair. In fact, he's more than compensated in his patience and his kindness by waiting so long. Okay, then um, we have this curious phrase here. And I, and I read this for the longest time. And people try to speculate, but they have no idea what this means. And the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. What on earth is that? Whatever it is, wouldn't that be a scary thing? And this hiding in the earth, even, to be honest. I've already talked about the mountains and the islands being moved out. I believe that may even be aftershocks. I don't know. But certainly part of this great earthquake uh, that had taken place. But these two ideas here didn't come together for me until just this last year. I don't know if anyone else has, has put this together, but uh, I'm going I'm to introduce it to you by telling you a story. How, how the... There is, there is writing in the literature, scientific literature right now and they don't know it, where they're describing what would happen if this certain event takes place, and it fits this right here in Revelation chapter 6. And in fact, they're expecting it to happen. We'll begin in the 1950s and early 1960s when I was a boy, starting high school, back in the days uh, when the Cold War wasn't so cold. Hard to believe for people nowadays, but we were setting off not just atomic bombs, but hydrogen bombs right and left. We had a series of tests that would have 20 and 30, as they call them, shots, where they set off a megaton. Can you imagine that? Multi-megaton hydrogen bomb up in the atmosphere. And you see it. In fact, one of them was so powerful, it was uh, one and a half megatons. We set this one off uh, way out over some remote part of the Pacific Island. You can see pictures of it. It was visible for hundreds of miles in all directions. And it was so powerful that in Oahu, in Hawaii, the uh, EMF is called the electromotive force. That's the pressure uh, generated by the electromagnetic field from this thing. It creates, an it creates an electric current in wires when it hits. And the current that was generated in the local wiring in Oahu was so great that it shut off the power in the city. And it was like 500 miles away where this thing was set off. All burglar alarms went off. Circuit breakers were thrown. <coughs> because just the EMF from this thing. Well, needless to say, and the Russians, every time we'd set one off, the Russians would do one. And needless to say, people were getting worried. You know? Uh, when are they going to stop doing it in remote parts? You know? So that was when they started talking about um, nuclear test bans. And the first treaty that was signed was in early, uh, or no, pardon me, late 62, October 62, John Kennedy signed with Nikita Khrushchev the first test ban. And it only banned testing in the atmosphere. You could continue testing uh, on the ground or under the ground, but not, no more in the atmosphere. Well, uh, it's not that we didn't trust the Russians or anything, but we decided we want to make sure that they, they live up to this treaty. And there was a, a secret mission of uh, a bunch of satellites. They were called VELA satellites. Any of you speak Spanish? What does that mean? Candle, okay. Is that Portuguese? In, in Spanish, it's watcher. 
because we wanted to watch and make sure the Russians lived up to it. And so they, they put these six, ultimately with six satellites, up in orbit in 1963, and they just looked up into space. And uh, they didn't look for optical things, you know, visible things that your eye would detect because it could be a supernova, uh, it could be a meteorite, you know, hitting uh, the Earth's atmosphere. That, that wouldn't tell them that the Russians had set off a shot. But the telltale signature of a uh, nuclear blast is the gamma radiation that's given off. And you scientists know what that is. It's just high energy uh, light rays, so to speak, photons. And so we had these six satellites watching for gamma radiation out there. Well, much to their surprise, they discovered that there was uh, a blast of gamma rays several times a day hitting their detectors. And they didn't know what it was coming from because they determined it wasn't the Russians blowing up uh, a hydrogen bomb out there. And they, and they tried to look, you know, where they thought the source was because also when, when there was one that went, when there was a blast, all of the, uh, the satellites would read it. So it wasn't something wrong with the satellite. And, and, of course, this has been going on all along. We just never knew it. Well, we didn't know, uh, generally, the scientific community didn't know until 1973, 10 years later, when it was made public because it had been kept classified all this time. And all of a sudden, all the astro astronomers and astrophysicists around the world found out from the uh, community that had been uh, supporting the satellites, that there are these gamma ray bursts several times a day hitting the Earth. Where are they coming from? What are they? What do they mean? So, boy, the scientists really got involved in that, and they, we actually sent up a couple of special satellites. The Italians sent up one that's still working today that just was there simply to try to find out where these bursts of gamma radiation are, are coming from. They were hoping that uh, when they looked at where they were coming from, they would lie pretty much in a plane, in a line. Because that would say that it was in our own galaxy. You know, the Milky Way, you go out and see that bright white stripe, you don't see it here, but up on the mountain. That's the edge of our galaxy. Are you following me on this? And they would hope that the burst would pretty much lie in that. That means the source is somewhere we're in our galaxy. But guess what? After uh, several years of data, they found out that they're coming from everywhere evenly. They began to suspect, uh-oh, these, these blasts are not occurring in our galaxy. They're occurring outside our galaxy. If that were the case, by the way, these would be the most energetic events that you could imagine. Uh, it, it would be so great that if one were to occur in our galaxy, it would, it would wipe out all life in the whole galaxy, depending on where it was. Well, in uh, 1997, uh, it was finally confirmed. It was very interesting how they did it, because... These, these bursts would only last typically for a couple of seconds. And you have a sensor that, that can detect gamma rays, and it says, oh, bang, there's a burst. But what the scientists wanted to do, they wanted to quickly be able to look at it with an optical telescope and see what it looked like. The problem is they come and go so fast that by the time they swing Palomar's you know, 200-inch reflector over there, which takes hours, it was gone. Well, uh, 1997, by then we had the Hubble telescope, and they just happened to be training on a part of the sky where one of the other satellites got a big gamma ray burst. And the, and the scientists got in touch with the other. They said, okay, quick, could you take a picture up there? And they did. And this is uh, a really uh, a remarkable photograph. It doesn't look too interesting to you, perhaps. But um, it says the HST-GRB uh, coll coll collaboration. GRB is, is gamma ray burster. Okay. And the picture here in the square, that's the source of the gamma ray burst. And you can see the little white fuzz around it. You see, can you see the white fuzz around the dot there? That's a galaxy. And that's where it came from. This galaxy is so far away that you can't even see it with an Earth-based telescope. And yet it was so... The blast from this thing is so powerful that it was measured here on the Earth. Are you following me? This is incredible, the power that's coming from this thing. This is another galaxy over here. Anything in here, by the way, is a galaxy. There's no stars in this picture. And so they confirmed that indeed they're coming, and most of them are coming from so far away that they can't even see the galaxy itself. Just the, uh, the gamma ray burst. Well, there's speculation on, on what the cause is, and, they, and certainly they don't know, and they're not going to know because it's so far away, they can't study anything about it other than to get the, the uh, measurement of the burst uh, when it gets here. There's speculation that maybe. Uh, a uh, binary neutron star, you know, where they spiral in on each other and then self-destruct into a black hole or something. But the energy put out by this thing, and you scientists will appreciate this, is 10 to the 55th ergs. 
you're talking about the detonation of all the nuclear weapons uh, that exist on the Earth today. That's, that's the impact it would have on the Earth if it was like 100 light years away from us. It's incredible. And the scientists now, in just recently in the literature, they're starting to say, well, what would happen if something like this happened in our galaxy? And they're expecting it to now, by the way. Because, uh, in fact, it's funny. Uh, there's a tongue-in-cheek article about this by a scientist in New Scientist where he says, no wonder we haven't been visited by aliens. Because these things apparently happen, these are science words now, every several million years or so in every galaxy. It cleans out any life that might have existed. So it, life hasn't had a chance to evolve anywhere to the point to where they can do travel between galaxies, you see. They're acknowledging that this stuff is deadly. Well, I have a paper at home where a scientist describes what would happen if a gamma ray burster, if this event took place in our own galaxy, in a, in a typical place where it would be just a couple hundred light years away. There'd be the initial burst of the gamma rays. If you were to see it in the sky, you'd see an eerie blue about the size of the moon. It wouldn't be the same color as the blue of the sky. Okay? You'd see this eerie blue glow about the size of the moon just for a brief time. And then, the cosmic rays would cause uh, reactions between the nitrogen and oxygen in the atmosphere. You know the ni that our atmosphere is, is three-quarters nitrogen. Most people think it's oxygen, but it's not. And you would have all these nitric oxide compounds created by the cosmic rays. Well, what does that mean? Well, nitrous oxide, for example, is the stuff you see in smog. That's what makes it brown and orange. Literally, what would happen, you would see... But depending on where you were, you, would, the reaction would travel across the atmosphere, starting with the center of the burst. And you would literally see a darkness go across the sky, just like a scroll rolling up. Wouldn't that be eerie? It would take a few seconds. You'd just see darkness go like that, right across the sky. That's what it would look like. Just like a scroll rolling up. Now, I'm not saying God can do it any way he wants. But in scientific literature now, you're seeing, they're not using the phrase like a scroll rolling up, but they might as well. And then after that, uh, after a couple of days, we're going to be bombarded with cosmic rays, which are caused by uh, actual physical particles ex accelerating uh, other particles from the explosion, wherever it is. Don't worry about the scientific stuff. The bottom line is, the Earth will then, within a couple of days, be bathed with a bunch of muons. So much so that at ground level, it'll, it'll be a hundred times a lethal dose for a person. Muons are penetrating little guys. They can go through anything. And in fact, the only way to get away from them is to do what? Go underground. In fact, rock is better. A couple of hundred meters into rock, and you can be shielded from the muon bath that'll come a couple of days after the initial blast. You see, the point is, when if this is what... Uh, causes this, this scene in, in Revelation. I'm not saying it is, but if that were the case, scientists would know what it was as soon as they got that gamma reading. And they would say, look, in a day or two, we're going to get bathed with muons. We, everybody, just, you know, get underground. And I don't know who will be able to or where they'll go, Carlsbad Caverns or whatever, to escape the, uh, the next step of this thing. And, of course, that's what we have in verse uh, 15. And again, this is in the scientific literature. It's, it's not science fiction. And God's been saying it all along. And here's the uh, sad part about it in verse 16. In hiding into the, into the ground, instead of repenting and saying, this is the hand of God, I'm a sinner. I need to turn to God. They'd rather die. They ask the rocks to fall on them. And, but I want you to notice, by this time, after whatever this cosmic event is that causes the sky to, to roll up like a scroll and the great earthquake that's worldwide and the uh, asteroids and comets hitting the earth repeatedly, they finally acknowledge, because it's so undeniable, the great day of his wrath has come. What a, what a contrast, huh? The lamb and his wrath. The lamb, the one who died for you. That's what we're talking about right now. Praise God, right now, we can talk about these things in theory. They haven't happened yet. But they're not just a theory. They're going to happen. And there's going to come a time when people are going to look and they're going to see the stuff written in here and it's happening around them. 
Are you ready? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not. Because this one, the Lamb, whose anger is going to be vented on the earth, right now we can say, we can tell you plainly, He died for you. He's the Lamb and His wrath hasn't started yet. And right now He's got His hand out and He's saying, come to Me. Turn from your sins and be saved now. Flee from the wrath to come. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, let me plead with you, do it now before it's too late. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You tell us about things that we could not know otherwise. We thank You, Lord, as disturbing as it is, that You tell us about what it's going to be like when Your patience runs out with this planet. But We want to pause this morning and look back and think of a time when the wrath of God was released, not on the earth, but on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize that as He groaned upon that tree, it was for crimes that we have done, that I have done, that He might save us from the wrath to come. Lord, we praise You for that great, great work, for the great love that brought the cross about And we who know You, Lord, we look forward. We've heard about You so much, but we want to see You. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we ask for anyone here who has been putting You off. As it says in Romans, they do not wish to retain the knowledge of God in their heart. That this might be the day when they stop running. And come to the cross and look up and say, there's the Lamb dying for me. We ask it in His name. Amen.